Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Welcome again to those of you that are watching online, and I'm so glad to be with you guys that are gathered here. Greetings to anyone who is out on the lawn listening tonight. It is good to be here. We might be at 25% capacity in here, but God gives us 100% of his presence, right? So he is here, and we're grateful for him. We're grateful for his word. We're going to start a brand new uh, series of messages tonight. So why don't we just pray and ask God to be with us. You can open in your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, if you're here tonight and you have a Bible or at home, and also Isaiah chapter 50. So if you need a Bible and you're here, the ushers will, as normal, pass them out. Just get their attention as they walk by. It's Ephesians 4 and Isaiah chapter 50, and let's pray. Father, we settle our hearts before you right now. And we want to thank you, Lord, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you for your great consistency, your great sovereignty, and your great power. And Lord, we ask you now that you would please fill us to hear you. Lord, we pray that you would have 100% of our attention as you want to give us 100% of your instruction and your voice and your filling. And so, Lord, we declare our need to you tonight. And I ask you, Lord, that you would help me to deliver this message. I believe You've put it on my heart for such a time as this, and I ask you, Lord, that you would help us to hear, not just with our ears, but with our heart, and with a readiness to fulfill all that you would ask of us and all that you have for us. We believe, Lord, that you placed us on the earth for such a time as this, and we ask you, Lord, that we might not fall short of any plan that you might have, any place that we might fill, any work that we might do. So would you please, Lord, come now. Would you please fill this room with your presence. Fill every room where everyone is listening right now with your spirit. We ask for an anointing, Lord, in three ways. I pray upon myself, Lord, as I speak tonight, that you would fill me and anoint me to, to speak. For those that are hearing, Lord, we pray that there would be an anointing upon every heart to receive. And Lord, in a bigger sense, Lord, in, in the, the, the space that surrounds our church, Dutchess County, our region, Lord, and even our country and our world, we pray for an outpouring of your spirit, that there would be an anointing. Lord, for we know that you are greater than every circumstance that we would face outwardly. So, Father, would you hear our prayer tonight? Would you answer by your fire? And would you help us, Lord, to receive what you have for us tonight? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to go out on a limb here and, and just assume that... What we are in right now as a society, as a people, uh, as humans, is probably crazier worldwide than probably at any other time in human history, <laughs> right? Back around um, the beginning of the year, right, I think it was just a couple days before New Year's, I preached here on a Sunday, and I, I, I gave a message that was called 2020 Vision for 2020. And I just wonder if any of us saw this coming. <laughs> right? Did anybody see what we're going through coming at the beginning of this year? I would suggest that probably you didn't. The title of the message tonight is Blindsided, and it's a part, first, first uh, message in this series of studies that we're doing called Wave Cutters, which I will explain in, in just a moment. But really, I just want you to think about all the things that we've been through this year. Really, if I had asked you in February what you thought was going to be the big story of 2020, 
you probably would have said the Russia collusion trial and the, the impeachment process with the president. And you would say that that will be the story that defines 2020. Well, here we are just a, a short while after that. And here's the reality of what we've been through this year. Pandemic, quarantines, cancellations and closures, murder hornets, race riots, mask wars, the breakdown of law enforcement and free speech, a global economy that's teetering like a 50-story Jenga tower, contact surveillance, and the dismantling of historical markers. And it's only July. We've made it halfway through the year, and who knows what is still yet to come. And, and you guys know I've had a couple of weeks off, which I appreciate to just refresh, uh, just to not have to prepare and to refill and refuel. And as I consider where we are and, and just stop the dizziness of headspin for a little while, I ask myself the question, first of all, is how do we do this? I mean, here we are, we're, we're, we're the people of God, and we're going through these fast-changing times it's unprecedented, it's dizzying, it's crazy. How do we do it? It, it's, it seems like navigating change is difficult. We have a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, who's seated in his place, who is perfectly stable, and we're his people. So there must be a way for us to move through this like he would. So I ask myself that question, how do we do it? And then the other question that I ask myself is, how do I speak to this? As a pastor and as one who's been called by God to speak in his name, what do I say to the people of God? How do I encourage and build up and talk to us in such a time as this as we're going through all of this? I feel like I've got to have something more to say or something better to say than the other voices that we're hearing from all the other directions. I feel like as a, as a person of God, I should have something greater to say than Tucker Carlson or Tony Fauci. <laughs> you know, I feel like there should be some greater depth or, or a greater degree of clarity coming from the church and from the pulpit than what we're getting on the nightly news and from the world. And so uh, the Lord put on my heart to share with you a couple of messages. I don't know how many weeks we'll do this, but not more than a few. And the topic of it is wave cutters. Now, you're probably wondering what that is. I didn't announce the title of the series ahead of yesterday, even though I knew what it would be because I didn't want to cause confusion because I know you'd wonder, well, what in the world is that all about? Well, if you don't know, it's because it's a word that I kind of made up. <laughs> you can sort of assume what it is, but I, I made it up. And because I made it up, I have the exclusive privilege of defining it and making the definition. And so I did, uh, and here it is. Sorry, Vanya, you can skip those first things and, and shoot right to uh, the definition of wave cutters. There's a slide that will go up on the screen right now so that you can see it as I read it. But a wave cutter is this. It's a marine object whose force of movement exceeds the force of the waves that would oppose or alter its intended course, or that which cuts through waves. Waves of distraction, detraction, or opposition. Now, I actually uh, felt led by the Holy Spirit to look up on Wikipedia uh, waves, what they actually are um, from, from just a def definitive standpoint. So just a wave, if you just take that, 
A wave is this. It's a little technical. This won't be on the test. But it's this. In physics, mathematics, and related fields, a wave is a disturbance, a change of equilibrium of one or more fields such that the field values oscillate repeatedly around a stable equilibrium or resting value. If the relative amplitude of oscillation at different points in the field remains constant, the wave is said to be a standing wave. If the relative amplitude at different points in the field changes, the wave is said to be a traveling waves, wave. Waves can only exist in fields where there is a force that tends to restore the field to equilibrium. In other words, there's a force that's seeking rest. So let me define that in layman's terms or simplify all of that for you. A wave is this, a system that seeks rest and one or more forces is disrupting that rest, right? I mean, it's kind of simple. I know I made it technical, but then simple again. But you guys get the idea of a wave. Now, the Bible is filled with instances where waves are used as an illustration or an allegorical explanation of unstable things that happen in our lives. And so a wave for you and I might be that our bank account is at equilibrium. There's an equal amount of income and outflow, and we feel like everything is at rest. The system is at rest. But then our 13-year-old needs braces, and there's a force that has now come in that has disturbed the equilibrium. And now we feel unsettled. We're moved by the fact that there's something that has destabilized what was once at rest. Another uh, illustration of it might be that you have finally come to a place in your young adult or older adult life where there is an equilibrium between the amount of energy that you receive each day and the amount of energy that you have to give forth each day by the various demands in your life. And it's at rest. But then three people quit the job that you share with them and their responsibilities are laid upon you and other responsibilities don't stop and that equilibrium has been disturbed and now there's a wave. You're seeking to bring things back to rest. There's a force, but you are moved by the unsettledness of that force, okay? And so uh, that's kind of what a wave is. So here's what I want us to understand is that there must be a way for the people of an unmovable God to remain unmovable when everything there is to stand on is moving. Because that's what's going on right now in the world that we live in. Everything is out of equilibrium. There are waves all around us, and yet our God is stable. And we're the people of our God, and there must be a way for us to walk through that. And so for a few weeks, I want to look at Scripture, and I want to look at people in the Bible that have gone through waves, and yet we're not moved by those waves, and hopefully we can, as the people of God, learn from their example and from their life and from their God, and that we, in this time that we're going through where things are crazy, that we might also do the same thing. I've asked you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to use that as our springboard text for our series and for our study tonight because it defines this for us and helps us understand where we begin in our own personal pursuit 
of being wave cutters. And that's what I believe God wants us to be in the days that we're living in. We're going to start in verse 11 of chapter 4, but so that you understand the context, Ephesians chapter 4 is given to us to describe what is the function of the church. And that is important because that's what we're talking about. We are the church and we want to function in the world that we live in right now. And so Ephesians 4, describing for us what is the function of the, of the church. The first 10 verses that we're not going to read, they describe for us what is the body of truth that we unify around under the lordship of Christ and the authority of God the Father. That's what he describes in the first 10 verses. And then he says this in verse 11. It says that he, and the he is Jesus, it says that he gave... And it's to the church, some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. In other words, God has raised up people within the ranks of his body that he has then equipped and sent and given to the church for the sake of a purpose. God has raised up these people with various offices. Now, I want you to understand, just in looking at that that list of things there, do you realize that not everyone has the same calling? And that not everyone that God has given to the church operates in the exact same way? And did you notice that every single one of those things, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, did you notice that they're all plural? Which means that there's not just one apostle, There's not just one prophet, not just one evangelist. It's pluralized. And and I want you to understand that because what I, I think one of the dangers that's happening in the church in the days that we're living in right now is that people are trying to singularize what God has made plural. In other words, they people, our Christian human tendency is that we find someone, a pastor, a servant of God that we like, and we make them the pillar. We make them the one that we can receive from and that we can learn from or glean from or grow from. And we cut off everyone else. But God doesn't operate that way. And all pastors aren't the same. All prophets aren't the same. All evangelists and all teachers are not the same. God has given to the church these people that have different expressions, different things to give. And All of God's prophets and servants have something to give. And there's a season where we need what God has given. So be open. Listen to what God has put out there. Now, what's their purpose? Why did God give these people to the church? He describes it in verse 12. He says, for the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting means the complete furnishing. For the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ until, and here's their goal, we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, complete man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He says that there's three goals and aims of the servants of the church, the ministers in the church. Here's what they are. Number one, is to bring unity around the truth. That is a harmony of unity. Number two is that we might have relationship with Christ, that we might know him. 
That's number two. And then number three is to serve and to edify, to build up, to encourage, and to strengthen. All of these things can be summed up in a single word, and that is maturity. The purpose is to bring the saints, the people of God, to maturity. That's number one. But there's a second one. He goes on in verse 14 to give the second one. He says that we henceforth or from now on be no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine that is teaching or learning by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Now he gives a contrast there. He gives actually a double contrast in this verse. There's a contrast between a child and an adult and between a small ship that can be tossed and carried and one large ship that cannot. And that's a very important contrast to understand because you have four things there. You have children, adults, small ships, big ships, four things. And all four of those objects are subject to being swayed, moved, acted upon by outward forces. But only two of those force, those objects are actually affected by forces. In other words, children are extremely impressionable. Children are extremely movable, moldable, affectable, manipulatable. Adults tend to be a little bit more set in their ways. They're a little bit more worldly wise. They're a little bit more established. They know something. And it's harder to move someone who's mature. Same thing with the ships. The small ship, it is given to the swells and retractions of every wave, of every wind. It's moved around. It has to be very careful what it does because of the circumstances that surround it. On the other hand, you have a container ship. We were driving over the Delaware Water Gap, that 13-mile bridge that cuts off a whole bunch of time if you're trying to travel south. And we were going over one of the passageways, and in the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay, there was one of those container ships. And it was just massive. I tried while I was driving, because I was bored, to figure out how many containers were on that ship. And so I was doing quick math, up, you know, how many up by how many across. And there was over 200 containers on this ship. I mean, it was just massive. Every one of those containers is the size of the, 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 the box of a full-size pickup truck. I mean, they're massive. And you just see this thing, and it's just on top of the water, and it makes the water look like a sea of glass. There's no wave that can affect the course of that ship because it's just that big and it's that stable. And so you have this contrast between these forces and these objects. One can be swayed and one cannot. And what Paul is writing to the church here is he's saying that part of the purpose of the church, the function of the church, is not just to bring maturity, but it's also to bring stability. That is that you and I come to a place where though we live in a world where the systems are constantly being changed, where energy is constantly being put towards upsetting, offsetting, destabilizing, that we stand in a place where we are unaffected by the waves that are coming. 
That's what Paul says is the purpose. Now, he tells us what the forces are that are trying to sway us. He gives two of them. Number one, he says, winds of doctrine or winds of teaching or winds of learning. Here's what a wind of doctrine is. It's useless teaching or useless learning. It's useless information that doesn't inform right conclusions or proper actions. That's one of the forces that is trying to sway you and I at any given moment. It's useless learning. It's information that moves you, but it doesn't bring you anywhere. It clutters your mind and it distracts you from things that matter and things that actually make a difference. So information, useless teaching that you're taking in, things that you see on the news, useless opinions of people that don't know what they're talking about, constantly filling yourself with information that moves you, but it doesn't take you anywhere. It doesn't bring you to a profitable conclusion. And that can happen in any arena. It can happen spiritually, useless teaching. It can happen secularly, useless information that just comes in. It's just a wind. You're putting up your sail and you're inviting every voice and every idea to just move you. Are you strong enough to move me? And it moves us. We get moved by the useless things that we hear, but it doesn't help. It just distracts. The other force that comes that he mentions there is what I'll call man's agenda. And he says it this way. He says, the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Okay, man's agenda is information or actions that are intended to win you to a persuasion that will move you in an intended direction according to an agenda. Meaning that there are people in this world that would leverage events, even create circumstances and situations, and then cause the fallout and ripple effect of those circumstances to influence you in such a way to win you to a persuasion that will move you where they want you to go. And that is something that Paul is saying that you as a Christian, that me as a person of God, that we ought to be able to stand and though those things try to move us in a particular place, they cannot because what we are and where we are is stronger than those forces that are coming against us. Are you guys with me? Okay. Now listen. All right, so the purpose of the preacher is maturity and stability. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to answer it for you. What do COVID-19, racial and social divisions, economic chaos, information control, contact surveillance, the dismantling of police departments, and the toppling of historical monuments all have in common? Here's the answer. They're waves. They are waves they are things that are destabilizing in equilibrium. And the fact of the matter is that we are either moved by the swelling and retraction of those waves or those things are affected by us. There is no neutral. A wave either moves the object it hits or that wave is moved by that object because it cannot stand. And I want you to understand the power of the spirit of God in the person of God ought to be such that we are not moved by the things that are going on around us, but rather we have a greater effect on them than they do upon us. So the question is, 
Where do we find that stability? Because what I'm seeing as a pastor and even experiencing a little bit in myself is that I'm not as strong and that Christians aren't as strong as we should be and there are people that are being affected by these waves. The amount of fear that has been elevated, the amount of anxiety that it has produced, the amount of addiction, sadly, that it has caused to recur or occur in the lives of God's people. The things that people have done to cope, even the apostasy of some that have turned their back on God or created distance between them and God because of the instability of the times and a lack of trust in him. Those are effects of waves and it's happening. So where is the stability? Where do we find it? Notice in verse 15, what Paul says, here's where it is. He says, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. In other words, the truth of what God says that is stable, solid, and that cannot move, nor can it be moved, as we infuse it, saturated with the love of God, it is going to drive us towards Jesus. We're going to grow up into him who is the head over all things to the body. And in that, we're going to find stability. We're going to be sound in the place that we're in. That's where we're going to be because that's what he is. He is stable. I want you to understand something about this Jesus whom we are called to be driving towards and focused upon. When Jesus came into this world, nearly 2,000 years ago. Jesus came into a situation where there was painful political unrest. In those days, the Roman Empire was inflicting their political will upon the independent and sovereign nation of Israel. Israel was God's nation. That was God's people. They were ruling and legislating contrary to Israel's constitution. Their spiritual charter was that they were to be the head and not the tail. And yet they found themselves under Rome being the tail that was following the will of the Roman government and the Roman head, the Roman rule. The promise of God to the nation of Israel is that they would rule, that the scepter of rulership would never depart from Judah until Shiloh come, until Messiah come. Now, they didn't know Messiah had come, but they did know that the scepter had departed from Judah. And so things were extremely volatile politically. There was conflict because of it amongst the people of Israel. There were the Herodians who were sympathizers to Rome. They liked the stability and the security that Rome brought. But then there was also the zealots, and the zealots were vehemently opposed to the presence of Rome and the fact that they were there among them. They hated the suppression and the taxation and the corruption that were there. And there was a conflict between the Herodians and the Zealots. There was also in those days a great economic calamity. There was an economic inequality and difficulty. You remember that Jesus' family was a poor family. Troubles in travel, offering the offering that the poor people would offer when Jesus was born. There was high taxation because of Roman presence there in the land, causing many of the people to rely upon government jobs that were then adding to the volatility of the relationship between one another. 
There was great racial tension and division in the days when Jesus came into Israel. There were the Judeans, and they didn't get along with the Galileans. They were both Israelites, but they didn't get along. Then there was the Samaritans that lived right between the two groups, and everybody hated the Samaritans. And then there was the Roman presence that you couldn't get away from. And there was more division racially in the land then than at any other time in Israel's history ever. There was religious chaos and corruption. There was the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Then you had the priests, which were kind of a separate division of the both. There was the Zealots, which had a, a kind of a conservative, fundamentalist, orthodox foundation behind what they believed and what they were doing. And then you had the common people. And there was all this religious schism. Everyone had an opinion about everything. And because of all of that that was going on in those days, everyone was looking for a savior. They knew they needed a savior, even while he was yet there. The interesting thing is that even though he was there, most people missed him because in the confusion of being tossed by the waves of what was going around them, they found themselves looking in the wrong places. They missed the Savior because they were looking for a surfer. They were looking for someone that could come in and would know how to work the waves in just the right way and lead the nation back to a time of peace. But Jesus is not a surfer. The Savior was not a surfer. The Savior was a shark. And the shark works under the surface and is not subject to, nor is he affected by the waves that are affecting those upon the surface. And when we look at Jesus, we see that Jesus was neither moved by, drawn in by, nor did he even acknowledge the waves that were affecting everyone else in his day. Oh, everyone, everyone tried to get Jesus to be affected by the waves. They came to Jesus, and, and, and actually, first it was the Samaritan woman, you remember in John chapter 4. And Jesus hit her with truth at the deepest level. He said, the man that you're living with now is not your husband. She said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet, more than a prophet. And then she immediately tried to bring him to the surface. She said, hey, our fathers say worship in this mountain, and the Jews say worship in Jerusalem. What do you say? And he said, no. He said, I'm not going to get drawn in by that because the day is coming. The day is even now that the father is seeking those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not one or the other. It's other. It's bigger. It's deeper. It's better. A man came to Jesus and he said, Lord, tell my brother that he's got to divide the inheritance evenly with me. Tell him that he's got to be fair, that God is a God of justice and God is on the side of justice and he's being unfair. And Jesus looked at him and he said, don't draw me into your waves. He said, I am not come to be a divider of your substance among men. You're not going to get me there. I'm not a divider over you. They came to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, should we render unto Caesar? Should we pay taxes or not? Which side are you on, Jesus? Are you a sympathizer? Are you a Herodian? Or are you a zealot? Where do you stand in this whole thing? And Jesus said, I don't care. He goes, look at the coin. Whose inscription is on the coin? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but give to God the things that are God. I'm not going there with you. Another came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, seven men all married this one woman and they died without kids. Who gets her in the resurrection? And they were trying to trap him in the doctrine of a conflict between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Which side are you on, Jesus? 
And Jesus said, you guys are in error because you don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God. You're dealing with things on a surface level and you're being tossed to and fro and you're missing the point of what's really going on, what's really important right now. Even Jesus' disciples tried. It says that they took him out and they showed him all the buildings of the temple. Lord, look at This is what Solomon started and Herod built upon it. Look at, I mean, there's history here. You know, you're throwing words around, but Jesus, this is, and Jesus looked at these guys and he says, you guys don't get it. He said, not one of these stones is going to be left, but every single one of them is going to be tossed down. Not one will be left upon the other. Jesus' brothers came to him. And they said, you need to come to the feast because nobody, nobody who wants to be known keeps themselves included. If you're going to start a ministry and if you're going to do something and you want to be influential, then you got to put yourself out there. You got to get on Instagram. You got to get on YouTube. You got to put yourself out there. And Jesus said, it is always your time, but it's not my time yet. I'm not on your schedule. I'm not on your ways. I don't do things the way you do them. I'm not led the way you're led. I'm not going to be affected by what you say I need to do and the trends that I need to follow. They came to Jesus and they said, Herod's going to kill you. You better hide. What you're doing here is illegal. It's politically incorrect. It's going against the current of what Herod, who's the prefect of Rome in this region, would approve of. And you need to hide. And Jesus looked him right in the face. And he said, you go tell that fox that I'm going to cast out demons and I'm going to produce cures today and tomorrow. And the third day, I will be perfected. And Jesus went on his way. He didn't care what Herod said. Jesus stood under Roman condemnation before Pilate, bloodied and striped. And Pilate looked at Jesus in the face and he said, don't you realize that I have power to set you free and I have power to condemn you? And in the moment when Jesus would be the most vulnerable to be tossed by the wave of men, he looked at Pilate in the face and he said, you have no power at all except it was given to you from God. I will not be drawn in by your waves. Jesus, should we wear the mask or shouldn't we wear the mask? Don't draw me into that. Jesus, is it right for us to be printing money like this? Is this the way a country's supposed to be run? We need you to send us someone that's going to stop this printing. No, I don't do that. That's not my business. Jesus, which race are you with? What's right? How do we... No, Lord, they're going to make us, they're going to make us get shots. What do we do? Jesus, should things be open? Should they be closed? Should it be 50%? It's waves, it's waves, it's waves. Jesus would not be moved by waves. Jesus never sought to change or reform the system that he was born into. He never addressed a single political issue unless he was addressing truth of God and then it was consequence and not intention. He never took the side of an aisle or an issue. He never blogged or protested, though he did preach. He didn't care about customs or social orders, whether they were right or wrong. He went into the temple and he overthrew their tables and he didn't care that he did it. And it didn't bother him at all that he ate without washing his hands. And it didn't bother him to heal on the Sabbath day, even though it was uncustomary. 
He didn't do what people wanted him to do or what they thought that he should, even if it was wise in the world's wisdom. Lord, come into the city. The crowd is gathered. He said, no, we're not doing that today. We're going to go to a city that no one's ever heard, and there's no crowd at all. How does that sound? That's what we're going to do today. Jesus was neither a lawbreaker, nor was he a rule follower. Jesus was a wave cutter. That's what Jesus was. And yet when you look at what Jesus did do, for all that he didn't, you look at what Jesus did do, it was outside of any predictable or understandable action. What Jesus did do cut to the core of every issue at the deepest level, and he solved by himself every single problem, not just in his time, but in every successive generation that was to come. That's what Jesus accomplished. Now you say, well, what does that look like for you and me now in the wavy time that you and I are going to? We are called Christians, and Christian means little Christ. I'm called, like him, to be a wave cutter. I'm not to be tossed to and fro and carried about by the winds and the waves that are going on. You see, I understand that, but Jesus was quite a bit different than me. Because Jesus was God, and I'm not God. Jesus was strong, and I'm not strong. I'm weak. Jesus knew things that no one else could know. I don't know things that no one else knows. Jesus was significantly different than me. This comparison is not very encouraging. Well, here's here's what I would submit to you tonight as we begin the process of becoming wave cutters. Is that Jesus' secret sauce, or his ability rather, to be strong and stable was not in his deity, but rather in his sonship. Isaiah chapter 50, you could turn there if you haven't yet. The Lord's getting ready to move powerfully. I can, it's shaking, it's shaking in the room. Isaiah chapter 50, beginning in verse 4, it gives to us the secret sauce of Jesus' strength. If you want to be stable, and if you want to be a wave cutter, in the days that we're living, if you want to make a difference rather than being affected by the things that are going in, the answer is here. This is what made Jesus strong as he was here. He did it as a son, not as God. And the example is so that we might do the same thing. Notice what it says in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. Watch this. Here's the, here's the recipe. Here's the ingredients. He says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakens my, he wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned. Now listen to what he's saying here. He's saying that I know what to do because I know how to hear And I know how to hear because I give him my ear. That's what he's saying. He's saying the very first thing that I do, Jesus would say, that you can do also is that you can give attendance to the Father. That morning by morning, the first thing that you do before you do anything else is that you get on your knees and you roll out of bed and you say, Father, Today, I need to know what you've called me to do. Today, Father, I need to be who you called me to be. Today, Father, I need you to instruct me and help me to know how to answer everything that comes my way. 
I need you, Father, today to lead me in every moment what I'm to do in every individual circumstance. I cannot deal with absolutes of I will always do it this way or I will always say this if I'm spoken to this way or I will always treat that. No, Lord, I need to know in that moment. And so today I need you to open my ear and I need you to establish your presence with me in my heart so that I can walk with you and be who you called me to be and not what everything in the world expects me to be. I need the stability of standing upon the rock and not the instability of being swayed by the waves. And it begins morning by morning when we give attendance to the Father. Attendance isn't the end, it's the beginning. Verse 5, it says that the Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Part 1 is hearing, part 2 is doing. It's obedience is that when the Lord speaks through his word or his leading or his voice or his spirit, that I'm submitted to his will and I'm walking in obedience to what he's asked of me. Because if I have rebellion in my heart towards God and I do what I want rather than what he says, then I'm closing, my ear becomes closed. It kills my ability to hear him. I can't hear him any longer. And thus I can't be led. I lose my strength. And all of a sudden I find myself being swayed. And so I resolve in my heart that there's a, an obedience that, God, what you say, that's what I'm going to live by. If you say in your word that it's wrong, then it's wrong. If you whisper by your spirit that it's not for me to live this way or do this thing, even though it might be permissible or gray in its interpretation, I'm going to do what you say because I'm more dependent on what you need to do in my life than what those things would do for me. So, it's attendance followed by obedience, but it doesn't stop there. Now it gets hard. <laughs> I can get up early. I can muster some obedience, but verse 6 changes the game. He says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. This is martyrdom. Here's what it means. It means that I am resolved in my heart that no matter what happens as a consequence of doing his will and living as a wave cutter, not letting things affect me the way that they're trying to affect me, but doing what he has asked of me, that I'm going to receive what consequences may come as a result of that. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. Do you get the idea that this is who we're talking about here? Who is it who had their beard plucked off, and their back smitten, and their cheeks punched. The shame and the spitting. See, for Jesus to fulfill the will of God, for Jesus to end up where Jesus ended up, he had to go through the shame and reproach of not being received by the people that wanted him to live a certain way, but he wouldn't cow to it. It's martyrdom. It's saying that I'm not worried about me I'm worried about God's will and I'm worried about future generations. That's more important to me than my own comfort. See, what I get, I understand it, is that we want God in a time like this because we want the nice life that we had before any of it happened. But that might not be what God wants. He might want that for a future generation and the way that we live right now will determine that for them, maybe not for us. 
But part of being a wave cutter is letting go of what I want and saying, God, I want what you want, and I'm going to walk in your way, come what may, even if it hurts. He goes on to say in verse 7, not just martyrdom, but resolve. He says, for the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Flint-faced focus. Do you know what you do with a flint? You strike it, <laughs> right? And so if I'm going to set my face like a flint, it means that I have made a resolve that come what may, I'm moving in this direction. God, my eyes are on you. I'm going in the direction that you have called me into, and that is going to be my life. And I'm not going to the left or to the right. I'm not going to change my mind or waffle in it. I'm going where you want me to go. And let me tell you something. There's going to be sparks. Verses 8 and 9, you know who you stand with. He says, He is near that justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. It's placing pure and complete trust and dependency upon his justification for your actions because you're doing his will, not what everyone else is telling you to do. He then says in verse 10, who among you is he that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Here's what you must understand, is that if you want to be a wave cutter, you are going to find yourself in circumstances and in times where you don't know the answers. Where you will be in, as it were, darkness concerning what's going on or what's going to happen or how things are going to unfold. That's what darkness is. It's not knowing. It's the absence of light. And the instruction is that when you find yourself in that position, how am I going to come out of this? How are my kids going to fare on the other side of this? How is fill in the blank, whatever it might be for you? How is it going to work? I'm trusting that he sees the outcome on the other side and that's where I'm planting my feet in his goodness and not in my understanding. Do you know that God does his best work in the darkness? Right? God formed the world when? In darkness, right? In the darkness he spoke, out of the darkness. What, what happens when you put a seed under the dirt? It's in darkness. That's where the life happens. The seed germinates in darkness. Where is the life formed in the womb? It happens in darkness. God does his work in darkness. You're not going to always have the answers of what, how, and why things are happening the way that they're happening. And therefore, if you can't find it in you to trust him in the midst of darkness, then you're not going to make it. He says, if you're in darkness, then trust. Stay upon your God. Don't give up. You say, well, what's the alternative? He tells you in verse 11. He says, behold, all you that kindle a fire, that means create your own light, that compass or surround yourselves about with sparks, your own sparks. He says, then walk in the light of your fire and then the sparks that you have kindled, but this you will have from my hand that you will lie down in sorrow. Don't 
Try to handle it yourself. Walk by faith and not by sight. And then finally, last part, last ingredient in the secret sauce. 51 verse 1. He says, hearken to me, you that follow after righteousness, you that seek the Lord. Listen, here's my instruction. Ready? It's very simple. He says, look unto the rock whence you are hewn. It means put your eyes upon the rock that you have been carved out of. Who is the rock that you've been carved out of? Jesus. In other words, you're a little rock. He's the big rock, and you have been made the little rock, so set your eyes upon him, and then, number two, and the hole of the pit whence you are digged. Any ideas what that's a reference to? The hole of the pit whence you are digged is the tomb that Jesus the rock was laid in. Why does he say look to the hole of the pit? Always in the Bible a reference to the resurrection, to the burial and resurrection of Christ. Why? Because that was the outcome. Do you understand? Jesus went through this life on this earth as a wave cutter. He didn't get into it. He didn't get swayed by it. He wasn't affected by the politics, the distractions, the arguments, the pettiness, the fighting. He said, no, I'm going to do my father's will. And there was a moment where everyone looked at that and said, see, he's a fool. He's standing condemned before Rome. But you don't look at that in the moment. You look at the pit. What's that? He rose. See, on the other side of standing in him, of standing firm and not being affected and swayed, on the other side of that, there's something that you can't comprehend or understand right now that is greater than any outcome that you could have by navigating your way through these waves. Right now, we are living in a time where the world needs the church to be the church. Because the church is the only force in the world that is strong enough in its health to stand against the waves of the world. What did Jesus say? He said that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And if the salt loses its savor, then the world is good for nothing. Meaning that if the church doesn't be the church in the days that we're living in right now, then the world has no hope at all. We're the only force that can do it, but we can't be swayed by the waves. We stand upon it because the strength that God will show the world through the church in its health, standing upon the rock is the only answer and the only solution. And it's true from history past to the farthest point in the future is that it will be the strength and health of the church that God will use to navigate the world. Everything else will be swayed. And if you and I choose to be surfers rather than stable, that we will be swayed and swept away as they impose whatever agenda they want, influenced by the realms of darkness in ways that we'll never see and comprehend. But if we receive the call to say, Jesus, you put me on the earth for such a time as this, and I need to be who you called me to be, and the world needs me to be who you called me to be, and the church needs me to be who you called me to be, then it starts right now. It starts right now. Will you say, I've been swayed for far too long, and I need my feet fastened upon the rock again. And I need to repent of leaving my sail up and just being swayed by every wind of doctrine. And I need to be filled with truth and I need to set my eyes again on Jesus and move towards his will for my life. That's what I need. 
It starts right there. It starts with the resolve of standing to your feet and saying, Jesus, count me in. I don't want to waste what you've given me, the opportunity. But that's only the first step. From there, it's tomorrow morning. When you wake, will he waken? Will you give your ear? Will you give him your attention and say, Jesus, I need you to lead my life today. I need you to fill me, lead me, move me, direct me, guide me, speak to me, empower me, and give me the resolve of following you with everything that I have. And then from there, will you walk in obedience? And will you be consistent? Listen, here's my fear. Because I've preached messages like this before. And, and I've seen it. I've seen step one. I've seen the altar fall. But then there's a great falling away. There's no resolve. There's no move. There's no, there's no follow through. There's no standing after the fact. It's an emotional moment, but there's no commitment. Listen, the stakes are very, very high right now. And you and I are the hope of the world, spirit-filled, empowered by him. But what will we do with the opportunity that we've been given? It starts now. God is doing something in our day. And you're not going to find it on CNN. You're not going to figure it out by stringing YouTube videos together. You're not going to find it there. That's all waves. Just like they couldn't find Jesus. God was doing something in his day and nobody saw it because it was so other than what they were looking for. And God is doing something right now. Jesus said this. He said that the man, if he was awake, he would not have allowed his house to be robbed. Right? He said he would have done something about it. He would have risen up. He would have stopped it. Well, here's what you need to understand that right now, you are that man. We are that man, and our house is being robbed, and the church is asleep. We're letting it happen. And the call is for us to stand and say, Jesus, count me in, and fill me with your spirit, and lead my life in the effective way, and teach me how to pray, and open up my eyes, and wake me up for the sake of the future of my world and the glory of your kingdom. Father, we thank you tonight that you give us wisdom through your word and an example of what it looks like. And as we open our eyes to look upon you, the great wave cutter, the forerunner, the one who went first, and the one who calls us to the same, Jesus, you said that all authority in heaven and on earth is given unto me. Go ye therefore. And so, Lord, by the authority and power that was given to you that you want to give to us, I pray in Jesus' name right now over your church and those within the sound of my voice that you would give us a fresh baptism, that you would give us a fresh awakening, that you would give us the ability to bury the unprofitable things under the oak tree like Jacob did. And maybe even something's to say, no more, that's it, it's over. Lord, would you have your way in me afresh? Would you revive? Would you awaken? Would you open my ear? Would you quicken my hope and my obedience? Would you stir up my faith? Would you allow me to walk 
and the power and the authority of the children of God throughout the days of my life. If you hear right now or the sound of my voice in your home and you know that's you and you say, no, things need to stop right now and I need to readjust and get my compass right, I would just invite you to just stand to your feet. Step 1A, stand to your feet and say, Jesus, I need you. I need to be filled with you. Right where you are, just stand to your feet and say, count me in. I need to be filled. If you're in your homes, if you're on the lawn, if you're in the room. Father, would you strengthen us? Would you help us? Would you fill us? Would you infuse your life into us? Would you revive us? Would you awaken your church? Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's worship and sing. We'll continue. Got more wave cutters to come next week. Lord has much to say. God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.